0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We're in a series that um, that you would realize called Faith at Work. And uh, part of being in that series is we've been looking at what it means for faith to be an active, alive and, and vibrant part of our lives so much so that whether we're at work whether we're at play wherever we are that faith is actually working in us and through us yes for our benefit yes in the family that we're a part of but more importantly in the world around us and uh, how does that happen and what that's all about and this morning we're going to be looking at prayer and uh, so I kind of I, I feel like there's a little bit of an angle of this that ...that God wants me to take with this. So I hope it's, uh, it's going to bless you this morning. Uh, but let us if you've got your Bible, grab this scripture out. This is our key scripture for today. We're going to work a little bit out of that. That's James 5 and verse 13 to 16. If you've got your Bible, that's great. Otherwise, you will see it on the screen behind me. James 5, it says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Just let me stop for a minute. The prayer of faith will save the sick. That word save, just before we brush over it, it's actually a word called sozo, which actually doesn't mean save in the sense of being saved and go to heaven. It means actually being made whole they been made, brought into the fullness of all that God created you to be. So the prayer of faith will save the sick, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Saves, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Let's just pray. Father, this morning, we pray that you would open your word to us, that God, it would become life. God, we are people that need to live out of the perspective of heaven. God, we're people that need to come and wash ourselves constantly in what you're saying, Father, because the world wants to say something to us, but you're trying to do something else. And God, you want our hearts to be clean. You want our eyes to see clearly. You want our ears to be tuned to you so that we can be vessels that can carry you. God, we need to be people that see past the circumstance and into the purposes of God. God, our time on this planet is so short, and you have so much you want to do in us and through us. I pray you'd help us be yielded, surrendered vessels to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to see the world through his eyes. If there's one mandate that he's wanting for the church, is that we would be people that walk into the world around us, countercultural people. And what makes us countercultural is we don't get influenced by what we're seeing and hearing. We're not people of the soundbite, but we're people of the download that comes from heaven. We're able to let it change the way we're interpreting the surroundings around us. And that's a constant battle because there's a constant barrage of information and things that are happening to us and plenty of people that want to give us their advice or their insights. And even if we're not looking for advice or insights, it feels like there's just a pressure that comes from the world constantly to conform. I don't know whether you feel that, but it is. And it's not, it's in the subtle things. It's in just the way we we want to interpret life. I had a young adult in my office in the last couple of weeks and she was on her placement as part of the last year of uni. And in that last year, this final placement is often when the students get the chance to put their foot forward really well in where they're getting placed in, hopefully offered a job, oftentimes to be staying on where they are. And placement, she was doing her placement in a hospital. What happened one day in the hospital, though, is she was distracted as she was putting, she was working in a, in a particular ward where. Uh, one of the children, uh, this was a two-and-a-half-year-old, but they had a mindset of a four-month-old baby. So large, very strong body, but, but not, not a strong mind, was putting this child away in the cot where they were and got distracted for a minute. The child leapt out of the cot and landed on their head on the floor. This is not a good thing. Not a good thing for the child. The child worked was fine. They did all the tests and all that's well. But as a placement student, yes, it rattled her, but she failed her placement. In fact, the very next day she was brought in before the people and they said, look, we're sorry, but we know it's an error, but we can't have that. And so we're asking you to pack your things now and leave. And so that was another week early before the placement finishes. Now you can look at that and say, well, she's a young girl, she'll get over it, she'll move through it. And that's true. But it was a very difficult thing in her life at that moment. I was praying for her. And as I was praying for her, I felt... The Lord give me this phrase. i never heard this phrase before, but it said this. Only when you enter into the mind of Christ will you see in the Spirit. Only when you enter into the mind of Christ will you see in the Spirit. She was asking me the question, what is God doing in the midst of this? I didn't mean to do it. It was a mistake. It was an error. But I feel like I was going into this like this was my future and it's all gone. They don't even want to know me. In fact, her CV, she'd put in only a couple of days before. There's no chance she's going to get that job in human terms. But only when you enter into the mind of Christ can you see in the spirit. And as I was praying for her afterwards through that phrase, I began to see something, that God was at work. That yes, it was an error, but God was going to turn everything that seemed bad into good. There was another pathway that he had her on. And if he could she could just open her eyes so that she could see something different, about a week later, I was sitting in my uncle's funeral, and uh, he was a beloved uncle he was the he was the guy that our you know he's the fun guy he was the guy that I grew up with as a young man Our families would holiday together all the time uh he was the guy that he'd let you punch you in the stomach because he had had a firm stomach he was an ex police officer that went into the ministry and planted churches and did a whole bunch of things and he was just he was just the guy that loved God, loved life. And everywhere every we went, he was always the guy doing something funny. There was always a saying, when Uncle Ivan was there, there was blood on the floor. And that, always, that was quite significant because it normally was true. I was sitting in his funeral and we were singing all the old songs. And I was, you know, we were crying the, crying the tears and smiling and doing all the things you do as you're grieving and thinking about a life well lived. And I thought for a minute, you know, we're sitting here and it's a sad moment. But actually, through the mind of Christ, this is a new birth. If I was to speak to Uncle Ivan right then and say, how do you feel about coming back and doing it all again? He'd say, not on your life. Not where I am. Where I am right now, there's a whole new place I want to stay. I'm loving where I am. Can you see that even death through the eyes of Christ looks different? Can you see? The mind of Christ, when you're inside the mind of Christ and you start to look at things, you actually start to reinterpret them because they become redeemed. They become new. They become, in other words, as I'm I'm crying the tears for my uncle, what I really should be doing is celebrating his new birth because that's where he is. See, the mind of Christ is different. We'll look back on death differently to how we look forward to it. Don't you think? And it's hard to grasp and we sit here and we go, yeah, that's all very good. But, but see, that's our struggle, isn't it? Because everything we're going into or we see, we're seeing it through the prison of our human understanding. And the human understanding makes us feel a certain way and look a certain way and think a certain way. And all of that keeps us from seeing the mind of Christ, which actually wants to pour into us a whole different perspective. God is wanting his church to be people that can reinterpret the world around them. Can actually see it through a different set of eyes. And prayer is a big part of that. Prayer is a big part of what actually turns our inner world and our eyes into what God's doing and enables us to walk a different kind of walk. Prayer is more than just asking God for things. I think sometimes that we boil prayer down to the idea that, God, I need this, and God, I need that. God, this is my need, this is my problem, this is my challenge. But Jesus answers that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. He says this, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Well, that's good, God, but what have I got to pray? He doesn't actually tell us yet what am I praying. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. But don't be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Your Father knows the things you have need of Before you ask him. And then later on in Matthew 6, he says, Therefore don't worry, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. See, what Jesus is pointing out is that the people in in that parable are praying things they think they need. They're praying from a human perspective. They're praying, they're praying essentially from their own needs and purposes. God, this is what I need. This, it's as if God, our Father, is looking down saying, I had no idea until you told me. Thank you for clearing that up. I am your Father who knows the hairs on your head, but thank you for telling me you need that. It almost seems silly, doesn't it, when you really take a step back, that if our prayer is actually about asking God for things, why bother praying? He already knows what we need. Clearly, we are using the bandwidth of prayer for the wrong reason or for the wrong focus. We are using prayer as a way of attracting favor to our lives, but we already have favor. We're already part of the kingdom of God. I can't ask God for more favor. He's given it all to me. You've already got as much favor as you're ever going to need right now. It's all over you. It drips all over you because he loves you and he's a good father and he's with you and his promises are yay and amen and there's just nothing that he won't already have done for you. He's already sent his son. He's already redeemed your life. He's already given you a future and a hope. You're dripping in blessing. But see, we don't walk with the reality of that in our heart so we think we have lack. We think we're lacking. But it's a perspective. It's not true. God says, I've given you all that you need. It seems humanly right, but that's not the conversation with God that he wants to have with you. And it's not what prayer is designed for. So it's a great question this morning is, what is prayer designed for? What are we meant to use prayer for? How is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availing? How does it work? Why are we still asked to pray? And what is the focus of our prayer? I think to answer that, we've actually got to take a step back. Just take a step back from need, take a step back from prayer, take a step back from the practice of Christian whatever. Just leave it all there for a minute, and let's go back to before the beginning of time. Just think about how God has set this world up for a minute. Just come on a bit of a story journey with me. Right back before God even said, let there be light, there was, there was angels in heaven, and one of them was called Lucifer. He was the archangel that was responsible for worship in the heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. He was actually one that would actually take the worship of heaven and direct it towards the Father. But something in his heart decided that all this worship, all of this focus, all this attention on God himself was all a bit too much, and some of it needed to come his way. It says in Ezekiel 28, describing Lucifer, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. You left your inner world because of your outer world. Your outer world, you wanted to look like you were the big guy in town. But you left your wisdom to do it. Isaiah 14 said, speaking about Lucifer, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so God boots Lucifer out of heaven. Him and a third of the angels are gone. And they come and they sit on this rock called earth But then God comes to earth and cleans up the earth, makes it all beautiful and sticks you and I in the middle of it. And he gives humankind a real commission in Genesis 1. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So God kicks Lucifer out of heaven. He's now roaming the earth and God chooses the earth to stick you and I on. We're in the middle of a cosmic war, and we didn't even know it. Lucifer hates God, and God can't have Lucifer in the presence of his holiness. So now we're in the middle of the battle. And even after humankind falls, we we'll fast forward this story a little bit, God still doesn't relent on leaving us in the middle. In Genesis 3, he's speaking to the devil, he's speaking to the serpent, and he makes this promise to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, if I break it down into the Aussie, the Aussie vernacular, God is saying, devil, you tried to spoil heaven, but you couldn't. Now now you're trying to spoil the earth, but here's my promise to you, the very thing you're trying to spoil is going to kick you in the head. That's what it says. So God has put humankind in the middle of a cosmic battle and said it's humankind that's actually going to come and destroy the enemy. So we've got two cross purposes here. Just think about it for a minute. The devil is trying to do everything he can to ruin this earth, to make the world look and feel like his world. Selfish, self-centered, full of itself, full of its splendor, preoccupied with its own needs, totally self-absorbed. Does that sound anything like the system of the world you're in now? The author of that system has been here for thousands of years, putting it all together. Now you're in the middle of that, you're humankind. And we're coming to God now, and God's on a completely different agenda to that. And so God has made a promise to the devil and said, humanity is going to kick you in the head. And the reason why he can make that statement so clearly is because God himself is going to join humanity, although back then no one knew it. Remember, God's plan before the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to come to the cross. In other words, God was going to leave heaven, become human, and walk amongst men. God knew it. And so he said to the devil, I'm cursing you. I'm going to curse you because I'm not just leaving these guys to do the battle. I'm going to leave heaven. I'm going to put on human flesh. I'm going to walk through this earth. I'm going to redeem this group to me and I'm going to show them how to kick you in the head. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to show them. And so Jesus comes to the earth and he modeled it beautifully. The disciples are watching Jesus walk through the earth and there's demons flying out there, there's sickness flying out over there, people are getting healed, miracles are happening, people are getting raised from the dead. Everything that could possibly be against the kingdom of of heaven that's trying to take down the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is kicking it out. He even said, the Pharisees came to him and said, well what power do you think I use? He said, well it can't be the power of the devil, why would the devil cast out the devil? And if it it's not the devil, then God is in your midst. The power of the kingdom is at hand, he said. The kingdom of heaven is here. I'm showing you what it looks like. And the disciples are like, this is amazing. What is the key, Jesus, to this power you have? And Jesus says, well, it's my prayer life. And he didn't say it quite that clearly. He said, well, I don't do anything that I didn't see my father do. In other words, Jesus is going somewhere, watching what his father does, hearing what his father is saying, and coming and doing it in the world. Going back to that place and hearing what his father is saying, hearing what his father wants him to do, and coming and doing it in the world. That's what Jesus is doing. And they go, wow, teach us how to pray. Now, remember, these guys grew up in a prayer culture. So they knew what prayer is. They were were Jews. Jews pray every single minute of the day. They're praying it every week. There's a Sabbath. There's a feast. There's a something. They're going to the temple three times a day, folks. They're still doing it today in Jerusalem. These guys know what prayer is. When someone says prayer, it's not foreign to them, but they've never seen this kind of stuff come out of the prayer closet. This guy's different. And whatever he's doing when he goes to pray, it's changing stuff. I'd like to pray like you. So they say in Matthew 6, teach us to pray. And he says, okay, I will. He says, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he takes you through the Lord's prayer as a template for how to pray. Sitting in the middle of that is the centerpiece of the prayer that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, that's the same promise that he said to the devil. We're going to come and kick your head. We're going to bring heaven's values to earth. And everything you're trying to do, we're going to kick you out. Jesus has just spent his whole three and a half years doing it. Showing exactly what it looked like. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. He's saying this is what it looks like. God is showing humankind how to live counterculturally to the system of the world and the enemy. And Jesus is giving us the prayer to come to the Father so that we know how to do the same thing as well. So prayer is on a mission. Prayer is helping us reshape some values inside. Prayer is actually us getting hold of the mind of the Father so that when we get in touch with circumstances and things around us, we're entering the mind of Christ so that we can see in the Spirit, so we can see what God is doing. Jesus walks through a whole crowded uh, uh, marketplace and stops and says, "Well, Well, someone just touched me. I felt power go out of me. the disciples say, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's people everywhere. They're jostling and bumping you. But see, Jesus isn't seeing it through natural eyes. He's seeing it through the eyes of the Spirit. Somebody touched me with faith. Where does all that come from? That's different. It's a something that comes on you that gets birthed in you as a result of walking closely with God. The big point I want to make in this part is that In the world today, what the devil has twisted and perverted, God is wanting us, his body, to make right. He's commissioned us to make it right. God has linked his mission in this world to our prayer life. He wants this world to change and he wants us to do it. It's just that simple. He wants the world to change and he wants us to do it. He's come and showed us how. He's given us the tools. He's given us the power. And now he wants us to be transformed enough that we'll walk into that as light walks into darkness and expel the darkness. It sounds simple to say, but that's the pattern. So prayer is going to support that mission. So God already knows what you need. Now he's saying, get on my mission. It's not really about what you need, it's actually about what the kingdom of heaven needs in order to come to earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. In other words, seek the inner life and then the outer life will look after itself. You'll be rewarded with external things when your inner world is connected to God. The external comes as a result of the internal. That's different. The world says, hang on a minute, no, you've got to get your affairs in order. You've got to deal with the thing. You've got to be, be clever in the ways of the world so that you can actually succeed. God flips it on its head yet again and says, no, no, seek my kingdom, and then I'll sort you out over here. And we say, oh, I don't know why I trust that. Hmm. I'll have a bet both ways. If ever there was any doubt, turn with me to Ephesians 3. Paul's talking to the Ephesians. And he says this. He's talking about the gospel before that. He says, to me, so Paul speaking, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Here it is to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the mission right there, that the church is going to face the enemy and declare the wisdom of God according to the pattern that Jesus gave us. If you put every other scripture aside, that's the gospel. That's the mandate and the purpose of the church right there. We have been called to reinterpret brokenness into wholeness. Separation into unification. Rejection into restoration. Powerlessness into empowerment. Darkness into light. Sickness into healing. Death into life. Fear into love. That's the mission of the church. We're going to see what seems to be broken and say, it's not broken. It's one step away from God fixing it. That's not broken. God can fix that. I feel so hopeless in this situation, do you? Well, Jesus is right with you. We're going to turn that hopelessness into hope. God has an answer. God has a future. I made a mistake in my placement and my future is over. No, it's not. It's just beginning. God can give you a new picture. There's a new picture of what he's trying to do. Let's tune into his station you know, back in the old days, you know, there'd be a bunch of you to remember. You know, your radio, you actually had to tune it in. You know, it just didn't find the station by itself or whatever. You actually had to, you know, do that thing, and you get the static. And you could sometimes get both stations, two stations at once, which was a trip and not very helpful, really. But you could, if you could tune it in, you could get it so it was clear. And I'd always be that one just want to get it. A bit... A bit better? You know how you kind of get, oh, I can get that a bit better, then it just drop out of the station. You have to put it back on. That's like us with God. It's like there's static on the line, but if we just keep tuning that dial, we can hear him. And it's our, what our heart is so thirsty for. We so want to hear from God. Our blind spot is that we can't reinterpret what we think we're seeing ourselves. We're seeing something We've got an interpretation or a perception that's trying to tell us what it means inside, but we can't quite see. And our blind spot is we've, been, we've got the world that's been speaking to us so strongly and the Spirit of God that's trying to break through into that. And so we come to God because we don't know what else to do and we just basically want to boss God around. God, do this. God, do that. God, I need this. God, I need that. This person's in need. Would you do that? Would you do this? It's like we want wanting to move God like a chess piece. God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm already moving. Get with me. Move with me. I already know the needs. I'm already walking amongst people. Flow with me. Flow with me. He wants effective, fervent prayer. God is firstly shaping something in us. Let me just give you two things that I think will help us with our prayer life. Some practical things that you'll be able to do that I think will be able to shape how you go about praying from this point in. It's all found in Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 14. Just jump to that scripture with me. Paul is speaking to the Romans. It's funny. Some of this stuff is so native to the early apostles. They don't really write about it really clearly, but you pick it up as you read what they're saying. Because, you know, it's like things that are just taken for granted today. We just assume that we understand things. You know, it's. And so these guys just assumed that people understood how prayer worked. Today, we're looking for the key to prayer. You've got to pluck it out, something sometimes when it's positioned in the scripture or or a body of text. It says in Romans 8, verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, for as many as led by the spirit of God. See, that's, firstly, that's the model of prayer. If I'm being led by the spirit of God. What what did Jesus do when he prayed? I didn't do anything that I didn't see my father do. In other words, reinterpret that. I'm led by the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Everything I do, I'm led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, as I'm walking through the marketplace, says, stop, someone just touched you. Jesus said, whoa, someone just touched me. Lazarus is dead. The Spirit of God says, wait three days. That doesn't make sense. Let's get there as quick as we can. If you're a medical person, you know, The guy's about to die. Once he dies, he's dead. It's done. Get there as quick as you can. The Spirit of God says, no, stay three days. Wait till he's really dead. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense, but that's our blind spot, isn't it? We've got to listen to the Spirit of God. What are you doing? So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's the Jesus model. Jesus is the Son of God. We are sons and daughters of God also, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. See, what you've got to do is get a picture inside you today if you are born again. If you've asked Jesus into your life, if he is the Lord of your life, The Bible promises you that the Spirit has come inside you and you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in you today. That Spirit that's in you is crying out, Abba, Father, right now. It's crying out from the position of sonship or daughtership to a father. It's crying out. Can you hear him? Can you hear him crying out that? Because he's trying to get through the layers and, and of, of orphan thinking that's inside our head. He's crying out to the Father, Abba Father. Abba means Daddy. Adi, daddy is, a, is an intimate term. Father, of course, means the position of Father. But it's the, it's the two together. It's not God who's austere, that sits in the heavens with a big stick. He's not the school principal of heaven. He is your Father, a good Father. He's a good father. And that spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. But I wonder how much time I spend listening to that. I am a son of God. I am a son of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. You're a son. What does that mean? You know, as you begin to ponder that something starts to form inside you. It starts to shift from inside you. You start to realize that actually there's something in my inner world that's got to be repositioned so that when I come to God, I'm not just thinking God's somewhere away out there. I actually start to feel an intimacy with God that I never knew existed because he's my Abba. My heart gets involved. My emotions get involved. He is good. He is my friend. He will never leave me. He is with you. He is with me. The realization of our Father, it's why that's the first thing that Jesus put in the prayer. He said, well, this is how you pray, our Father. Notice he didn't say your Father. He didn't say my Father. He said our Father. In other words, he's the same Father that Jesus has got. He's on the same footing with the Father as you are with the Father. That'll, that messes with your head. You've got just as much right in the presence of the Father as Jesus has in the presence of the Father. And if that's a, if that's a challenging feeling for you, it's because we haven't spent enough time listening to the Spirit who's crying out, Abba, Father. He's, already, he's trying to get you comfortable with that idea. He's doing everything He can to get you comfortable with that idea. It's why the prodigal son proverb is such a, fant- parable, is such a fantastic parable. It resonates with us. There's this son who thinks he's okay without the father, does a whole bunch of things and realizes he's really not that okay without the father. And then the Bible says he comes to himself. And the time that he comes to himself is when he's contemplating the father. And what is it that he's contemplating? He's contemplating the faithfulness of the father. He thinks, hang on a minute, my dad is that faithful that even the servants get on better than I do. He's thinking about the character of the Father, the goodness of the Father, the the faithfulness of the Father. And as he's thinking about that, he's going, hang on a minute, what am I doing here? At least if I go back and become a slave, I'm going to get fed better. So he's starting to contemplate the Father's faithfulness. But as he does, something's starting to get healed. Now it's the wrong footing, he's still thinking like an orphan, he's still outside the family, he's still not really on the right channel, he hasn't quite tuned in on the radio, but it's getting closer, and so he starts to move towards home. And as he moves towards home, the father moves towards him, and the father meets his orphan spirit with the spirit of sonship and says, here is my robe and here is my ring, now put it on, you are welcome in my home. And that's why the Spirit of God is crying out, Abba, Father, because he's trying to get you to believe it. If I have a father that is faithful, then I must be a son, because he can't be a father unless I'm a son. What makes him father is the fact he's got someone to be father to. Yeah? I've got to be a son. So what kind of son am I? How accepted am I? How much do I belong? These degrees of understanding come by listening to the Spirit in times of prayer. God will reveal to you where you fit with Him. And you won't be praying from the position of outside anymore. You'll be praying from the position of inside because God repositions your inner world. And that's what the human heart's longing for. I don't need a laundry list of wants and desires for God. What I need is a renovation of my heart that takes me into a place of intimacy. And and then I can see Him and I can worship Him and I can enjoy Him. Yes, I can pour out my heart to Him. Yes, I can talk to Him about the things. But He already knows what I need. But as I'm doing that, the Spirit of God is trying to show me a new way. He's already for me. He's already for you. Then the second thing that God's doing in prayer, keep going. In Romans, if you you read further down, it's like Paul goes on a little journey for about 10 verses. Romans 8, jump back in in Romans 8 and verse 26, he says this. Likewise the Spirit, so when he says likewise, that's linked to those of you who are Bible students. Likewise, you go back looking for what's he talking about? Why is it likewise? Why are we connecting to another bit? It's up further, 10 verses before, the part we just read. Now he says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Wait. God is about to tell you what he thinks your weaknesses are. We've got a list of them. (laughs) It's almost like, God, don't give me a list. I've already got my own. God's got one thing in the Bible that he says, this is your weakness. Listen up. I'm all ears. God, what is my weakness? Because I'd like to fix it. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. That's the weakness of the human heart. We don't know what the conversation is. We're outside because we're thinking outside. We're believing outside. Our world is outside. God is over here doing something different. And go on further, it says, For the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, who's he? That's Jesus. He's our great intercessor. Knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Get the picture. Jesus has never stopped praying for you. He's listening to the Spirit reinterpret what you should be praying and he's praying that to the Father. The Father, Son, and the Spirit today are praying for you. There is an intercessory prayer life going on within the Godhead for humanity all the time. The problem is we're not praying what they're praying. We're praying what we want to pray. And so God's going, yep, that's not what I want you to pray, but I'll reinterpret that and this is what you should be praying. And so God the Holy Spirit groans and says, I'm changing what he said. He meant to say this. He's not really praying that. He should be praying this. That's what that means. But that's not good enough to just let it be that way. God's inviting you into the conversation. Come into the conversation. What's your first step? My first step is I've got to know who I am. And from the position of son, now I'm in the household of God I will listen, and the Spirit of God will teach me how to pray. He'll teach me what the conversation is. I might have a whole bunch of things going wrong for me over here in life, but God is actually saying, pray for this family over here. And everything inside you is going, but God, what about this going wrong for me, but you want me to pray for them? He says, pray for them. Get involved with that. Do this. Go this way. It doesn't make sense, God. I should be over here fixing this. Yeah, but God says, no, But this is where I want you. I'll look after your world if you look after mine. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Get about my father's business, and then I'll look after your business. Can you see the pattern? The challenge for us is we want to be about our business. <laughs> I get it. I'm not sitting here saying this is something we've all mastered. I certainly haven't. But that's the call of God. The call of God is come and, pl- come and be in my kingdom. Work I want you to work, pray how I want you to pray. And then he goes on and says in Romans 8, and this is where this context matters for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. One of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. It's the band aid verse we use for everything. But when you put it in context, what it's really saying is this if you are about doing my business, I am about doing yours. Because all things are working together for your good. In other words, the Father, Son and Spirit are praying for you. They know what you need. Don't worry about what you have to wear. Even the lilies of the field are clothed. Why would not God clothe you? God says, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. That's that's not the kingdom of heaven. Be about my business because all things are working together for good. I'll make that work if you will work in my kingdom. And now prayer has purpose. And now prayer has a future. Prayer has a focus. And we'll see results. The great thing about praying in this way is that we see the miracle hand of God work. Stuff starts to happen. Breakthrough starts to happen. People start to... We see, we see people get healed. We see people get saved. We see stuff starts to happen that's of kingdom value and there's nothing quite like partnering with God. When you see God do stuff, it's amazing. You go, I was part of that. I was part of it. God used me as part of that. God used you as part of that. One of the great joys of our life is partnering with God. Can we just close on this? I'm going to ask the band if they'd just come up. Just now, human control is a myth. I think we all know it in our heart, but human control is a myth. What have we really got control of, really? I mean, for a fleeting moment, we hold on to some things, and then they're gone. The only thing you've really got control of is your ability to surrender to Jesus. Jesus the only thing you've got control you've got the ability to give your life to something to surrender it in the act of surrender you actually get the ultimate control because you hand your life to the one person who is so faithful he will never let you down that is the strongest thing you can do with your surrender give it to the person who will never let you down I can hold on to it as if by holding on to it, I'm gripping it so that it works for me. But in the end, I know in the end, I cannot make it work. And so we live in the bubble of anxiety thinking I'll try harder. If I try harder, it'll work better. And the harder we try, the less con- control we seem to have. And God is constantly just trying to say, release it to me. The act of surrender. Surrender. It's the spiritual key that unlocks the door to the mind of Christ. Because what God promises cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Your word is, it's a light to us. It challenges us deeply about what it means to be people of the spirit. But God, I pray there is such grace in you. You lead us gently. You lead us carefully and quietly. You inspire us, God, to take that next step deeper into your heart. Thank you for that. I pray for every person here, God, that, Lord, that you would help them, inspire them, lift them up, encourage them. Where their hearts are heavy. God, I pray for a release of that burden. Father, where our mind is pressured. Way down i pray god that you'd free it by your spirit god would you bring life would you bring healing would you bring forgiveness would you bring restoration to every life here i pray in jesus name amen